I'll tell you a story. It comes from our Native American friends, the Indians. The story was compiled by Dr. Megan, what's her last name? Megan McKenna. That's it. Dr. Megan McKenna at the Benedictine Resource Center here in San Antonio, which is a very fine uh, ministry and work to the children primarily. And uh, she tells this story. It's a true story. It was told, it was told to young Indian boys and girls when they were getting ready to go through the rites of passage, when they were getting ready to go through that three or four day retreat, when they would come back from that retreat as members, full members of the tribe. And it was a story entitled, The Eagle and the Prairie Chicken. Once upon a time, there was an eagle who lived high in the mountains, and she had built her nest, and there were three beautiful eggs. And one day she went searching for food, and when she came back, a terrible storm had overturned the nest, and the eggs had fallen and two of them were broken, but the third one miraculously survived on the floor of the prairie. She didn't know that. She mourned the loss of her children. At the same time, there was a mother prairie chicken who was likewise out hunting for food. And the same storm overturned her nest and scattered her eggs. And when she came back, she began to gather up all of her eggs. And not being too bright, prairie chickens are not known for having high IQs. She saw this unusually large egg, and so she included that in her nest, continued sitting on those eggs until the prairie chickens hatched first. But the big egg didn't hatch. She continued to sit there and sit there. And finally, the ugliest prairie chicken she had ever seen was born. Big, gangling, flopping wings at its side. And this big, gangly, ugly, prairie chicken was looked upon by the rest of the prairie chickens as a freak. The black sheep of the family. And they'd make fun of him. And they would kid him. But his mother treated him like a prairie chicken. Said, now prairie chickens eat bugs and seed. And so here this eagle that thought he was a prairie chicken started eating bugs and seeds. It didn't seem right to him and his nature, but that's what he was told. That's what his parents said. That's what his peers said. Act like a prairie chicken. So he tried to. But he found himself wandering away from the group at times, wanting to be alone 
And one day he was out by himself, all alone, and suddenly there was this huge shadow that began to appear on the ground. And he was frightened at first. And he looked up and he saw the most magnificent, graceful bird he'd ever seen in his life. Oh, if I could do that. And he watched that eagle dive and capture a rodent and take it back to its, to its nest for food. Oh, thrilling it would be to do that. So the prairie chicken came back and told the rest of the prairie chickens about it, and they said, oh, you're dreaming. There's no such thing. The grandfather prairie chicken said, oh, but he's right. He's right. There is such a thing. And it's an eagle. And you better be careful of them. They're free spirits. They soar. You have to watch out for them. Remember, you are a prairie chicken. Don't mess with eagles. But still, the restlessness in this prairie chicken would drive him out outside the environs of the family because he wanted to see that bird again. And one day in the canyon he saw it soaring again and he thought, maybe I can do that. So he clumsily climbed up the side of this mountain and got up there on the precipice and looked and he said, oh, what a thrill it would be to just leap out there and fly. But then he remembered what he was told. You're a prairie chicken. You're supposed to eat bugs and seeds. You're not supposed to fly. You're to be the best prairie chicken you can be. You're not supposed to fly. So, disappointingly, he came down from the mountain and back to the prairie chickens. He continued to be more restless and unhappy. He continued to find himself moving out to be away, to be alone, but he was getting weaker, sickly. And he thought, I'll try it again. And he climbed up once again. And he stood there and thought, oh, if I die on the floor of the canyon, it will be worth it to just fly for a few moments. But don't forget, you're a prairie chicken. Dragging his wings, the potential to soar built into him. He came back down. Went back with the rest of the prairie chickens, got sick, and he died. He never flew. Why? Because he listened to the wrong voices. Who do you listen to? Hear me. Religion, religion, religion that limits and restricts and denies and whose favorite word is don't, 
don't ask, don't move, don't grow, don't soar. Just be satisfied where you are, eat bugs and seeds. Religion is the voice of the prairie chicken. Don't is its favorite word. Thou shalt not, its favorite motto. Religion. Listen to me, please, because there's a great deal of confusion in our world today. People say, well, it's okay what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, go to Waco. Everybody's entitled to believe what they want. That's exactly right. Everybody is entitled to believe what they want. Every person is entitled to say what they think. That doesn't mean that I have to agree and say that what they're saying is right. Examine it. Look at what religion does. You can be religious about anything. It's really an amoral word. People say, well, it's a, it's a religion, so uh, let's, let's, don't, let's don't investigate it. Let's don't talk about it. Let's don't make judgments about it, determinations about it. You can be religious about anything. You can be religious about yard work or getting drunk on Saturday night, either one. You can be religious about brushing your teeth. That's a good one. But, but religion never saved anybody. In fact, you read some of the Old Testament prophets, some of the most severe statements they made. Read Isaiah, just the first chapter. Read Amos. Read the Old Testament. You'll hear God himself condemning outward religion that has no inward substance to it made out of relationship with God. Now, the prime example is in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. Here is Paul, who had been the super prairie chicken. He had surpassed everybody else in his legalism. And here he is witnessing to, testifying before Agrippa. He has been arrested. Why has he been arrested? Because he did something in his life that made religion oppose him. Now look at it. Look at the... 26th chapter of the book of Acts, in the fourth verse. Paul is talking. He's giving his own biography. He's explaining what it was like with the other prairie chickens. So then, all Jews know my manner of life. Faithful prairie chicken. From my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and in Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee, I mean chicken of chickens. I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our, get it, religion. 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 He continues with his testimony. I jump now to the ninth verse. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was religious. Religious above any of his peers. More religious than any of us in this room. He was religious. What did he do? He opposed Jesus. He was in hostile opposition to the message of Christ. He tells us. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, I mean the head prairie chicken, 
received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. I wanted them dead. That's what religion would do. It will kill any questioner. It will kill any dissent. It will kill anybody who begins to talk about relationship as being the substance of faith. Not religion, not performance, not activity, not rules, not regulations. Here's the supreme authority telling us where he came from and where he got and what happened to him. As I punished them often in all the synagogues, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Boy, was he dedicated. My, was he fervent in his religion. While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, he was a representative of religion. At midday, O king, I saw an eagle. I saw the light. I looked up to the heavens instead of down to seeds and insects. I looked up and I was blinded. And I cried out, Who are you? And he said, I get this, 15th verse, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, and I am forgiving you, and I am saving you, and in the 17th verse, I am sending you to do what? To kill people? No. I'm sending you to help people open their eyes. Not close them, open their eyes in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been saved by faith. Now get this, by faith in me. The difference between Christianity and religion is relationship. What makes you a Christian is a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know any bigger problem we have in America today because many folks in America think that because they were born in America and they say, well, it's a Christian nation. Well, it, it isn't. That, that, that's a misnomer. But even if it were and you were born in this country, that wouldn't make you a Christian. It is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us a Christian. We Baptists and Methodists and Quakers and folks like that that were heirs of the, of the, of the uh, Great Awakening in England ought to know that better than anybody. In 1662, Parliament passed the Act of Uniformity. It was in force for 25 years. They passed this act, and they said every worship service in England must follow the Book of Common Prayer. That is going to be the standard for worship. And by law, you must follow that book. Baptists and Methodists and Quakers and others over here saying, wait a minute, how about the Bible? No. I care with the prayer chicken. In 1664, they passed the uh, Conventical Act. This was an act that said any house of worship, what had happened, Wycliffe had translated the Bible into the English language 
and it had created a furor, and so as a result of the Bibles being translated into the language of the people, little groups of Bible study and little churches started growing up in different places. So Parliament passed a rule, a law, saying those churches were disloyal to the crown, and they were not to be allowed to exist. In 1665, Parliament passed the Five Mile Act. You can read about all of these in Black's Law Dictionary if you're interested in pursuing it. In 1665, they passed the Five Mile Act, which was against any pastor or any preacher going into any city where he had ever lived or preached unless he would go in there and say he supported those acts that had been passed by Parliament. And hear me, that's how America got founded. It was folks who said, we are not going to live like that. We're going to go where there is freedom of religion, where we can exercise our faith after the convictions of our own heart and life. We do not want government controlling our faith. And what amazes me is that those of us who are the successors to those folks are now sitting around talking about wanting to do the same thing and get control of the government and thereby force everybody to believe what we want to believe. No, no, no. Be free. As long as my freedom does not infringe upon yours or in any way hamper or hinder your becoming who you ought to be and want to be, we are born to be free in Christ. So, well, Buckner, to me, sounds like you're judging. Well, that's right, and the reason I'm doing that is because that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you start judging something by the way it looks. People come along, they say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, you ought not to judge anybody. Oh, no, the Bible gives explicit instructions that we are to make discriminating judgments about person's behavior. We're to make discriminating judgments about another person's behavior. That's good behavior. That's bad behavior. That's, that's right to me, and that's wrong. Look, my friend, if there are no standards, you know what we have, and we nearly have it. You have anarchy. And people say, well, you're not supposed to judge. No, you are supposed to judge. Jesus is here saying, but how are we to judge? I'll come to that in just a moment. He says, beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. What's the product of their life? How ethical? How dependable? How faithful? You'll know them by their fruits. Look at the fruit. Good fruit, bad fruit. Tasty fruit, rotten fruit. You've made a judgment. Every time you go to the grocery store, you make judgments. These bananas look good. These don't look good. You're going to make one. You're going to choose one. You're not going to choose the other. That's a discriminating determination as to which was the better. Okay. Good tree bears good fruit, Jesus said. Good tree bears good fruit. So then, again in the 20th verse, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by the product of their life. Well... When Jesus said in the first verse of the seventh chapter, do not judge lest you be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What's he saying? He's saying before you start looking at somebody else, look at yourself. Begin with yourself. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Is it up to date? Is it reflecting itself in your manner of living? Get back in touch with your own relationship to God before you start making judgments about other people. And in the fifth chapter, he tells us the kind of judgment we are not to make. 22nd verse. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. 
And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Raka means kind of weird, strange, different. It's okay to pass that sort of judgment. You know, you, you, they, may bring you, they may bring you up for accountability because of what you've said, but here's what he says. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What does he mean? When you called in Jesus' day, when you called somebody a fool, you had passed judgment upon their soul. You, in effect, had put a kind of personal curse upon them. That person is damned. I damn them. It's more than saying I don't approve of that behavior. That doesn't look like Christian behavior to me. I disagree with that theory or that philosophy or that doctrine. I don't agree with Mormonism. Some of the best people I know are Mormons. Fine, wonderful individuals, but I don't agree with all of Mormon theology. That doesn't make me a Mormon phobia. Uh, I, I don't agree with everything the Pope has said. I think he's a fine man. I don't have any question about these people knowing the Lord. I just don't agree with all their theology. That doesn't make me have popophobia. Simply because I don't agree with someone else's standards and practices of living doesn't mean that I'm afraid of them. I, I just don't agree with that. I make a judgment about that. But if I were to say that person is going to hell because they disagree with me, then I have done what Jesus said. I have pronounced ultimate judgment upon them, and he will hold me accountable for that. Enough of that. One final word. Christianity is the voice of the eagle. Look at Jesus. You just watch him. You just watch him everywhere he goes, down there at the pool of Bethesda. He walks over there. Everywhere he went, he was telling people to get up and go. Get up and go. Get up and go. Telling the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Been sick? Yeah, 38 years. Get up. Go. Crippled man on a pallet in the house, Capernaum, tore the roof off, brought him down. He said, your sins are forgiven. Prairie Chicken said, you can't. Who's going to forgive sins? Nobody forgives sins. Jesus said, I can't. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and go. And he got up and left. There's a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he had a withered hand. Jesus looked at him, and the, the prairie chickens were looking at him, wondering, is he going to heal that man? It's the Sabbath. We're going to watch him. He's going to break the rules of the prairie chicken church. Jesus looks at them, looks around on them, upset with them, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. That's what he's saying to you. Get up, reach out, stretch out, go. That's the call of the eagle. To rise to new heights, to walk in new ways, to live in the new rarefied air of the Holy Spirit of God. As Isaiah says, to mount up with wings as eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Michelangelo was walking through the builder's yard one day, and he saw a large, stained, flawed, deformed-looking, misshaped piece of marble that they'd thrown to the side to discard. Michelangelo walked around it and around it and kept looking at it, and after a few moments he said, take that piece of marble to my studio. There's an angel imprisoned in there, and I can set it free. And he chipped away 
the stain and the fault and the disfigurement, and there emerged a magnificent angel. Listen to me. There's an eagle inside you. Look up. Take a step of faith. You have the wings of faith. They'll support you. You'll soar in the presence of God. Would you do that starting right now? Take that step off of the precipice of that pew where you stand and down this aisle or this or this to say, I come to trust Christ. I come to be a part of this church. I come to rededicate my life. A number of people came in the early service. They're always nervous when they do. I understand that, but they came. Pray, chicken. Let negative thoughts keep him from being the eagle he was born to be. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Come, let's stand and let's sing.